Hey guys, this is Renee Paquette from Throwing Down with Renee and Misha. On today's podcast, Misha discusses her main event fight against Ketlin Vieira at UFC Vegas 43. Plus, our interview with Andreas Hale to discuss Survivor Series and all of the combat sports action over the weekend. All right, Misha, we are coming off fresh off the heels of UFC Vegas 43, which, of course, you were in the main event against Ketlin Vieira. How are you feeling today? A couple days removed. I am great, truthfully. Um, my voice is a little coarse, I think, from like my, you know, when I do my pre-fight yell. I don't know. I guess I wasn't, my vocals weren't warmed up for that. So, like, <laughs> if I sound <laughs> emotional, it's really mostly just because my voice is like crackly. <clears throat> so, but no, I, I'm really good. I'm in a great place. This is so much different than the first time around. Like I said, I have so much more to be grateful for. And, you know, before when I would fight, my fight day would be the last day of my life in my mind. It was the day I died. It was the day that, you know, nothing else happened or existed beyond that date. And I was obsessed with it. And when I would lose, it was crushing. And when I would win, you know, it was all good. But now um, it's just a moment in time for me, right? I'm just on a journey. I'm enjoying the process. And I'm, I'm okay. Like, I'm at peace with this. And I was at peace with it. Never really so tied to a result, so much as just go in there and do it and do my best. And, and, you know, I also think like, how am I supposed to evolve if I'm not willing to test my weaker areas of my game, right? If I'm not willing to totally. go out there and push myself in the areas to be better that I need to be better. in, like, I know I still have my wrestling and I still have my grappling, but for the first time in a fight, I spent a large majority on the feet. I didn't feel desperate for takedowns. So, you know, I would get my entrances, make her think about it, but didn't feel like it's like, oh, I've got to get it down. You know, I, so my major takeaways are, look, I fought a woman who had a three inch reach advantage coming out of Nova. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Looking at the size between the two of you. You know, Jose Aldo's camp, which obviously a lot of savage strikers come out of there. She was a judo black belt. She was a jujitsu black belt as well. So I didn't want to I didn't want to chase takedowns. I didn't feel like I needed to. I felt like it was very competitive. And I think the last round, you know, she won that round. Uh, uh, the judges probably scored damage a lot. And the way that that works is, well, if you think about it for a second, the places on your face that wear the most damage are not actually the places where you would typically look to knock someone out per se. So Mm -hmm. cheekbones, eyebrows, nose, those typically are places that will cut or bleed, but are more central in the face, you know, and the forehead and those things are not the places you look if you really want to strategically place a punch to rock somebody or knock them out. Those places would be temple, chin, neck, you know, those places. And I feel like I had um, maybe better placed punches. She's just so long. And I was landing more on the neck and the jaw and trying to get those. And she's kind of leaning away, looking at counter strike. So look, it was a, it was a very strategical game by both of us on our feet. And I definitely wore the damage better, but, or worse, I should say, I wore the damage worse, but um, <laughs> I led with my forehead, you know, and then she caught me a couple times in the nose. She got me with one good uppercut. And uh, that that got me that laceration, and that's it. I think that the judges looked at the, looked at that and said, "Hey, that's that's what won the fight." So it is what it is. It's a learning experience, and you know, I tested myself in ways that I've never had before. 
So that's what I need for my growth and evolution. Absolutely. So two days removed now. This all went down on Saturday night. Physically, how are you feeling? What's going on with your body today? No, physically, I feel really good. My face is definitely swollen. Um, so I, I am obviously not on the Zoom with you guys because I, I don't want to, uh, you know, <laughs> scare anybody. But you know what? I am I have been documenting the whole process, and I'm going to release that on my YouTube channel, like the whole thing. Awesome. So I got, I got a few stitches. It's kind of cool because it's actually the first cut of my career. I've never been cut before. So this is like kind of cool in a morbid way. I'm kind of like, oh, you know, I got my first cut. This is cool. So we're just documenting it. And I've got the swelling. I've got the black eye. And, and uh, otherwise, I'm great. Like my body is not hurt at all in any other way. Um, I'm proud of the kicks and the overall disbursement in the body that I was able to land. You know, my push kicks look better. My kicks look the best they've ever looked. They oh, my God. My you had kicks. some great like, kicks. Wow. Thank you. And that's just not usually, again, it's not, not something that I that I do. I'm not known for kicking. I'm not known for striking. So I just think we just got to look at that and be like, look, we did some things we've never done before. Okay, maybe we weren't perfect at it, but that is how you evolve. You have to be willing to go out there and, and test yourself and not just play into your A game. If you just play into your A game mm-hmm. at all times, eventually you're going to run into somebody where you need a solid B game. And, you know, to evolve yep. those things, you've got to be able to push yourself and you've got to be willing to take those risks. And that's what I did. And it didn't pay off with a victory. But in my mind, I, I still learned a tremendous amount. I had fun. I don't have any regrets. What over the course of those five rounds were some of the things that surprised you from Ketlin Vieira? What surprised me about her was, um, well, I would say after the fight that she was apologizing to me. She's like, I'm so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I, that, that might've been actually the most surprising moment in the fight was that Interesting. she would seem genuinely s- sorry that she like had to do, you know, that she had to do her job. But, you know, we both came out there and we <laughs> we did our jobs. And I definitely did not expect, you know, an apology because I know she's she's sacrificed a lot to be there, too. And I could I told everybody I could tell in the weigh-ins like she really wanted it. Like this was going to be a fight. The other thing in the fight that I would say maybe surprised me a little bit was that she was very much about counter striking. You know, I thought she would try to bring the fight a little bit more. I thought she would try to press mm-hmm. the pace a little bit more. But um, come to find out, her coaches actually scolded her after the first round when she tried to shoot on me. And I defended it. And she was unsuccessful mm-hmm. in that shot. And her coaches immediately ran there. Why did you do that? Why did you do that? I told you, stick to the boxing. Stick to boxing. So sh- her game plan was obviously just to counter strike. And I really thought she would want to engage more. So after the first couple rounds of it being really close and I was like, I'm waiting to kind of counter strike. She's waiting to counter strike. I decided, decided to start leading the dance. And so being the shorter fighter, being at that, I think, you know, disadvantage in the striking when I started to initiate, although I was bossing her around the cage and I had the, you know, any control time that there was, it was all in my favor. Um, she was able to implement the stronger point of her striking, which was to counter strike. And I guess she, I thought she would bring it a little bit more. I thought she would initiate a little bit more. Um, but that was probably maybe the, the most surprising the most surprising thing. Yeah. She, she wanted to sit back so and wait this, for me to bring the fight to her. 
it sounds to me like you've already gone back to rewatch this. Yeah. Did you watch the fight back? So I've watched the first two rounds and then I was kind of like, okay, I just want to take a break from it. I haven't watched all of it yet, but this is what I recall in the moment of the fight. Um, thinking like, okay, I'm just going to start bringing this fight to her. You know, she's waiting. If, if she's waiting and I'm waiting, then nothing's happening. And I remember feeling that at one point in like the first half of the fight ish, you know, after round one, after round two, especially, she really started to set in with uh, the really heavy weight game after being scolded, I think. And then the third round, and I was like, these are close rounds. You know, I, I, I want to finish this fight. I want to engage. I want to be in control. And so I started to do that, but it just didn't really end up working out in my favor, you know, to engage more. So, but I mean, you can't just sit back and wait. Sometimes you got to go try to take it. And even if you don't win at least you know you were coming to try to finish a fight and that's yeah that's what I was trying to do I, at some point I was trying to finish the fight and I ended up getting hit a little bit more than I wanted to for it but what can you do you know certainly you could feel the fight just start to get scrappier towards the end what did you think of the scoring because it seemed to me I mean looking on social media it was all over the place and you said you could kind of feel that throughout the fight that it you know each round was feeling a little bit different not really sure how the scoring was going to come out yeah I wasn't sure I thought it was very close going into the fifth round I I you know I always tried to err on the side that is you know more likely to be scored for them so I kind of thought it was maybe 2-2 going into the the fourth round yeah um and then I thought in the fifth round I just need to try to pick up the pace and bring it to her more um and and some people have been telling me I'm not a judge so I actually don't I should go through and read the rules but I guess that I thought damage was a part of the scoring criteria but a lot of people have been telling me that damage is not a part of the scoring criteria but when you're a judge and you've never been in a fight and you don't really know, you're going to look at damage and, and it has to equate because you think that the person is landing the better shots. Sure. So again, those places on the face, the cheekbone, the eye, the nose, they're not the places that you aim to knock someone out. I feel like perhaps I had the better placement when it came to the punches, but you know, hitting those places doesn't cause damage like hitting the frontal yeah. center part of your face does. So again, you know, but when I'm bleeding, it's, it's just going to look that way. It's going to look like, oh, she's getting the better of the striking. So I haven't watched the fifth round. I have to go back and see like what it actually looked like to me. But from what I've heard and a little bit that I've been on social media, you know, people are very divided on who they felt won. A lot of people did think that, you know, maybe I won the fight. Um, I can't really say because I haven't watched the whole thing yet. And I think as the time comes and I feel more comfortable to to watch it or whatever. And it's not that I'm like upset by it or anything. It's just I don't feel disappointed by it. Like I don't feel like I'm like, oh, I've got to go back and just like mm -hmm. figure it out. I'm like, no, I get to decompress now. I don't have to like <laughs> yeah. go back and be yeah. like, oh, I've got to figure it all out right now and problem solve and it's just like no you know I'm, I'm enjoying my kids I'm enjoying my family's down here we're actually after this they're flying up to Washington for Thanksgiving so I'm going to be enjoying Thanksgiving and not really thinking about fighting and I'll, I'll come back to watch it whenever I feel like is like good you know it's no rush
What did you think of Ketlin's um, post-fight comments saying that she wanted to get a chance or an opportunity to train with you because you're such a legend and she looks up to you? What did you think about her saying that? Oh, I thought it was really, uh, it was really cool. She is a sweet, sweet woman. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy for her on her journey. It, it's, it's such a polarity when you're in this sport, at least for me it is, that, you know, you can go and, and try to take someone's head off for five rounds and, you know, have those kinds of fights. But it has nothing to do with the way that I feel towards the person otherwise. And otherwise, I, I think that she's great. I think she's so humble and sweet and a great role model. And, you know, I, I hope that she continues on and to have a very successful career. Um, I know that she said that she wants to train with me. I think at some point we could definitely make that happen, but we, we still have to see how the division's going to unfold. Um, she had already fought Sarah McMahon and they were actually scheduled for a rematch when Sarah McMahon fell out. And then I ended up taking the fight, right? Then it got postponed. And then, then we fought in November. So these rematches are not something that's totally like out of the realm. So I, I think it's a little too soon to be like, should we train together? It's like, no, like I'm still yeah. fighting in that division. She's still fighting in the division. It was a really close fight. Um, you never know how that might play back in the future. So although I would actually love to train with her too, uh, I think we could definitely sharpen each other. But, you know, there's a potential chance. It's potential, right? We could run into each other again down the road before this is all said and done. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, we'll wait and see. Uh, so what's next for you? What is next on the calendar, on the docket for Misha Tate? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Fucking nothing. <laughs> I'm going to sit around and do a whole lot of nothing. And I'm going to eat. I'm just looking forward to Thanksgiving. I don't yeah. even want to think about the next fight because, you know, I have these multiple cups in my life that it's kind of like sometimes I'm holding on to this cup and that one takes my priority and the other cups you know, they need their chance to like have that precedence too. And right now I put down the cup of fighting. I'm picking up the cup of family life. I'm going to enjoy Thanksgiving. I'm going to enjoy Christmas, the new year's, and then, you know, we'll revisit and we'll see what's next. Filleth your cup, my girl, you deserve it. Certainly. <laughs> Hi everyone. I'm hall of fame sportscaster, Leslie Visser, and I've got a new podcast in conversation where I'll draw from 45 years of covering the final four, the NBA finals, Wimbledon, the world series, the super bowl, the Olympics, CBS even sent me to the fall of the Berlin wall. I think you'll enjoy the give and take. So subscribe today, wherever you stream your podcasts or listen on the SXM app included in most subscriptions. We are joined now by none other than senior editor of Combat Sports for Sporting News, the co-host of Wrestling with Stereotypes and the Corner Podcasts. This guy, a prominent voice in uh, all of MMA, boxing, and professional wrestling, my buddy, Andreas Hale. Hi. Hey, man, that sounded really good, Renee. I appreciate that. You made me sound like a million bucks. Hey, I'm just here to pump up some tires, let everyone know who you are, get it out there. How have you been? What's going on? Uh, I was just coming off of this crazy weekend with uh, Sean Porter versus Terrence Crawford. We had Survivor Series. I'm just trying to decompress. Like, this is my, my day to <laughs> try to take it in and uh, get with the family because Thanksgiving's around the corner. I'm ready to eat, man. Like, let me be honest. It's time oh, to my eat. God. Join the club, dude. Okay, let's talk about what happened here at the Sean Porter fight. Um, you were... The man behind the whole thing, the Andreas Hale production, having Big E walk out, the WWE 
uh, champion, being a part of uh, a part of this monumental moment for Sean Porter. How did this all come together? Wow. So we have to go back to 2019. He is a huge combat sports fan, really good friend of mine. Um, and Sean Porter is a friend of mine. You know, even though I'm a journalist, I've known Sean. You know, our kids are about the same age. And he was looking for a walkout before he fought Errol Spence. And I showed him uh, a New Day intro. And Sean was like, who's that? I want him. And I was like, well, that's Big E. So I had the meet, and he walked us. He walked Sean out for the Errol Spence fight, uh, which was crazy in itself. There's a whole lot of backstory behind that. But as Sean was approaching this fight, uh, I guess he had another walkout that kind of fell out. And he contacted E. E contacted me. We had two weeks to kind of figure this thing out. I also got my friend who's a Grammy-nominated rapper, Rhapsody. Um, and we mm -hmm. put this all together in two weeks with the choir and E doing the throwback to the old New Day era where he was more like the preacher. Yes. Um, it, it was just, it was, it, we put it together pretty quickly. Uh, we did rehearsals. It was a beautiful moment. The thing that I didn't know is that Sean already knew this, this was going to be his last fight. So it was an honor oh, to wow. find out that he trusted me with his last walkout. So it was beautiful, man. It was really beautiful. That's huge. Uh, how important is it for you to have those crossovers? I mean, uh, you know, you just mentioned you and Big E being friends. I know you guys have become pretty thick as thieves and get to work together here and there on little projects. Little projects, that's not the word I meant to use. These are huge, monumental projects. Uh, but how important is it for you to have those crossovers, to have WWE enter that mainstream part of, uh, of boxing in a combat sports? You know, that's a good question because that's like my world. You know, I grew up as a pro wrestling fan. I love boxing. I love MMA. I worked in the music industry, you know, covering music for almost 20 years. And it, it only makes sense that these worlds cross over. And I think sometimes people forget that rappers and artists are pro wrestling fans and boxers love music. And you can put all these things together in a way that it makes sense without it feeling forced. It would feel weird if I put some guy in the WWE that doesn't like boxing to walk out Sean Porter. The fact that he loves sure. boxing, it makes a world of sense. And then somebody like Rhapsody, uh, who is a female hip hop artist. I think she's the only, the second woman to walk out a boxer. I was like, Oh, we can make a little bit of history here. Damn. And put these things together. So it just was really important to me. To, that's, that's how you draw fans in. Everything is pro wrestling at the end of the day. Everything. <laughs> it <You know>? always, <laughs> I've been trying to say this to Misha for months now. Thank I mean, Misha, you. Everything Misha, is pro wrestling. You Misha, Misha, you dealt with Rhonda and the theatrics of it all. And like, this is this is what gets people. That was real, though. That I, was I real. I know it was real. But Those a lot real of pro theatrics. wrestling is, is rooted is, in are some. Are we going to say it's real? <laughs> well, some of it's rooted in some reality. Like, I mean, you got a lot of guys that cut promos on each other. There's guys that don't necessarily like each other. But it's everything is amplified. Everything is amplified to 11. We turned up to 11 like Spinal Tap. And I think that's what people want. They're the pomp <laughs> and circumstance. They want the theatrics. I get it. Well, Andreas, that, Andreas that, brings it. Me to, um, that brings me to Survivor Series with Charlotte and Becky. How much fun did you have being able to watch those two women just slug it out, kicking off Survivor Series yesterday? I thought it was incredible. I mean, first we had Becky, which was a throwback to uh, Scarlet Witch with the ring gear, with the, uh, the red pad leather. Oh, my God. Um, and, you know, the history behind these two, it, it, it was one of those blurred line things where you're wondering, all right, work or shoot? Uh, what, what are we doing mm -hmm. here? Between Becky's promos lately, the way Charlotte's handled herself, then you go through the dirt sheets to see what everybody's talking about. You're like, well, who's going to get potato? <laughs> who's going to get dropped on yeah. their head for real? Like, what's going to happen? 
And I mean, yes. these two women, they're at the top of their game. So it's like getting a chance to watch them work, whether they like each other or not in real life, didn't matter. I just thought it was a fantastic way to open the show. So how the hell did you convince Big E to come all the like for him to fly coast to coast while he had this massive Survivor Series match against Roman Reigns on Sunday? Didn't take much. I mean, E loves doing this, these things. This is his wheelhouse. I mean, he loves mm-hmm. being able to present. I mean, I think this is everything that he's always wanted to do. I, obviously, he did the Deontay Wilder Tyson Fury fight as well. Um, this is everything that makes perfect sense. And for him, take these opportunities now, your WWE champion, do everything that you can to permeate the mainstream, and then go back and do your work. Like he says, I'm going home to do some work. You know, he got on his flight that night, flew back to New York, and was work in Rome in the next day. How much do you think that's what being a champion in WWE or really any sport should be is, is putting in that work. And you know, I can lean more on the WWE side here, obviously, but trying to find those pockets to really let your champions and let your stars shine and get new fans. I mean, let's be honest, MMA, boxing and pro wrestling are still very niche in a way, right? They're not as mainstream as the NBA or the NFL, so you have an opportunity to take an individual as boxers, pro wrestlers, MMA fighters, they have other interests. Why not put them in other areas that they can excel, whether it's acting, whether it's music, whether it's hosting something. Let their personality shine. I know the WWE was real restrictive on letting talent do these things, but it's the only way that you're going to permeate into the mainstream. Let them show their mm-hmm. personalities. We root as fans. We don't root for fights. We don't root for just wrestling matches. We root for the wrestlers and the fighters. We get behind those individuals and we have to do things to make people invested in these individuals. So it's, it's a little crazy that, that, that these things don't happen more often. But when you have a WWE champion and he has the opportunity that he wants to do these things, take it, take it. That's why Hulk Hogan was so big. He would show up on late night television. You have to let these people yep. just show out. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think being able to to get people in those spots. And like you said, it's like Biggie is a fan of combat sports. So it makes sense to to kind of plug him in and get him in those in those other markets. What I know you're such a, a brain when it comes to these things. Where else do you want to see some WWE superstars plugged in? Oh, MMA. I mean, you know, Renee, as you know, a lot of the talent, they love MMA. They watch it, you know, on the weekends is what they do. And I think, you know, you look look at the UFC, and I know the UFC is not big on pageantry when it comes to entrances, but I think there's an opportunity there to really show out and put these people in places to succeed and kind of cross over into the audience. I mean, a lot of people, Brian Danielson, for instance, trains MMA. Samoa Joe trains MMA. We we should highlight and spotlight these things. Um, So I think that's like the next logical step. I mean, shoot, we just watched AEW Dynamite last week and Brian Danielson did a callback to Nate Diaz when he flexed. Yes, I saw you point that out. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known, but I saw you tweet that, yeah. Yeah, with with the bicep flex while he was doing the triangle choke and fans got it. So when when you have the audience that's smart and they get it, we need to do a little bit of crossover here. So we need to find ways, you know, whether it's E or whoever doing some narration or some backstage stuff. There's just a lot of things that we can do uh, to cross over into these worlds because there's a lot more overlap than people think. Certainly. And, and what about in terms of representation for you? I know that has been such a thing that, that you've wanted to be able to focus on and, and to, to put people in, in the right positions. What, what else do you think needs to be done? We need to tell uh, people of color and also minorities, women, uh, that there's more places for you to be than on the screen. 
you don't have to be a fighter to be involved in combat, pro wrestling, MMA, boxing. This behind the scenes. We need more writers. We need more storytellers. We need more voices. Uh, Misha, you should understand this. I'm so sick of men talking about how women weight cut and what they have to deal with. I, <laughs> it's not a man's place to say like, oh, she's not, she's not trying to make weight. We don't understand women's bodies, but there are women who cover the sport that aren't necessarily spotlighted who can tell these stories and really bring it in. I, I just don't think it's fair. Just like in boxing, which, which is a lot of black and brown fighters, and we have a lot of old white men telling the same story of he came from poverty and he came from a broken home. That's not all fighter stories. We have to do exactly. a better storytelling. And I think that that would help out a lot. You know, speaking of, of fighter stories, though, um, Sean Porter over the weekend, um, his father kind of got on the microphone and I, it kind of it really shocked me, to be honest, that his father was like, I it was his preparation. I was like, whoa, man, talk about just kind of, uh, I don't know, I felt like he was kind of burning his son a little bit, whether it was true or not. Um, the I would just kind of want your opinion on how, how he got in there and how you he thought he handled it. And then obviously, you know, Sean deciding his retirement. I know you touched on that a little bit earlier, but um, kind of what you thought about maybe the father stepping in the way he had uh, conducted that post-fight interview on his son's behalf. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. Um... You know, full disclosure, I know Sean and Kenny for a long time, uh, the Porters. That was Kenny the father and not Kenny the trainer that right. was talking to yep. his son that I feel like he didn't. Somewhere there had to be a disconnect in camp where the father and the son weren't on the same page. And instead of the father being a trainer, he looked at his son like his son. Yep. And he scolded him like his son. And I think right. for a lot of us, we took it the wrong way. It's like watching a kid getting beat in the grocery store. It's like, well, well what did we he maybe do? Did, <laughs> maybe we didn't need to see it publicly, right? It was maybe a conversation better had behind closed doors. That's how I kind of took it. And I've seen that happen in relationships in MMA, too, where that relationship, whatever the dynamic is, it crosses over. And it's hard to separate the two or keep them separate at all times. Absolutely. And, you know, Kenny, Kenny Porter's is... is that's his son's trainer. But at some point, if you know, you see your son getting hurt, regardless of what's going on, he's no longer a fighter. He's your child. Mm -hmm. And you're going to react as if that's your child. So I, it didn't sit right with me the way Kenny scolded Sean, especially in such a big moment in the middle of the ring with everybody watching and you kind of put the onus on your son for not preparing properly. Well, you're his trainer. You're, you guys are the same team. So it's like, yeah. well, who's fault really? So I felt like that was the father and not the trainer. And, you know, hopefully those two squared it away because we've seen so many relationships fall apart. And when it was the father-son dynamic or, or a relationship of a, a boyfriend-girlfriend dynamic, it's just completely different when it works in the corner. And so a lot of people, especially us as outsiders, we don't get it. We just don't. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a difficult, I think, place to be in for someone to walk in both you know both aspects and that's the tricky part and it's not just difficult for for the father or the other person is difficult for the fighter too you know because as much as we want to we want to we want to follow that note we also have to be our own person and our, our own ceo too so i know i've been in those difficult positions before i'm glad to no longer have been in there this last fight was this weekend for me um it didn't go my way when it came down to the judge's decision but Ultimately, I still felt like, you know, I evolved and I did some really good things. We've been talking about this for a while, but I don't know if you got a chance to see the fight. I mean, you, you know a lot about boxing as well. If you've seen my former fights, I'm curious if you thought you saw an evolution in that aspect of my game. You know, it was my it was my biggest weakness before. It's something that I'm looking to strengthen and uh, definitely did my best. Came up a little short, 
Can't be too disappointed with it, though. But, but I'm curious your thoughts, if you got a chance to see it. I did. I watched it. You know, it's funny. I'm watching. I always watch the UFC cards ringside while I'm at boxing. I'll tell everybody there. I was like, hey, watching the UFC cards. So I might not be paying attention to this black <laughs> undercard you have going. Um, but in your case, like, I mean, Misha, I've watched you since Strike Force, And, you know, it seems like, first of all, you look like you're in the best shape of your life. Um, you know, a lot of fighters, when they say they, they reach a certain age, it's like, oh, I'm going to retire. I'm not in the best shape. You look phenomenal, first and foremost. But it Thank seems you. like you have also shored up a lot of the holes in terms of striking where you, it's not just, well, we know Misha's just going to wrestle. This was your proficient striker now. You learned how to defend yourself. And what I saw more than anything else, and correct me if I'm wrong, you talk about evolution, you're still evolving. I still see that there's improvement happening fight by fight. And I'm glad that you came back um, because it felt like you left a lot on the table and it feels like you're coming to eat. So whatever the Thank future you. has for you, Whatever the future has for you, whether it's another world championship, whether it's just making a lot of money, whether it's whatever the fights are, it feels like you are actually having fun. And I didn't get that sense before you were on your way out that you were having fun, especially in your interviews. You just didn't sound like you felt like you were over it. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. You you hit the nail on the head. I very much was. So especially that latter part of the first chapter in my in my career, I was getting real burnt out and I just wasn't feeling it anymore. I didn't have the desire like I do now to get better. And I'm also at a much better place to accept whatever outcome, you know, I, I want it as bad as I've ever wanted it. I wanted that win, but ultimately the journey is more important to me and, and evolving is more important. Fixing those holes in my game. If I ever truly want to be the best, I've got to be willing to put myself out there and evolve those areas and aspects. And I spent damn near 25 minutes all but about but maybe 35 30 seconds on the ground in a five-round fight so i'm like you know i went out there against a woman with a three-inch reach advantage and she had the better attributes technically to be you know a better striker and i think i showed evolution and that's that's what it that's what it's really about for me so i appreciate that uh that feedback you know i i definitely need it i need the constructive criticism but i also need to hear the things that you know people are, are observing objectively well, Andreas, I mean, you're able to jump on here, talk some boxing with us, MMA, pro wrestling. We've been talking a lot of Thanksgiving here, and I know that you are a film aficionado. Are there Thanksgiving movies that you watch this week? Is there anything that you have that needs to be queued up? I can. <laughs> you look like you're, like, racking your brain Yo, really quick. <laughs> I, I really am, because, Renee, you know, it's like when Halloween comes, it's like, October 1st to the 31st, it's all horror movies. Yeah, what, you've been it, covered. You covered me. You gave me yeah. some good ones. See, I always go planes, trains, and automobiles. That's my go-to. Ooh, ooh Steve Martin. Yes, yes. I, you know, yeah, I don't know. Thanksgiving, I kind of fast forward to Christmas, right? Like, I, I get a jump start on Home Alone and yeah. Home Alone 2, and it, I just started in Thanksgiving because what, what I end up doing is when Christmas or when Halloween comes, I have all these movies queued up, and I'm like, there's no way in hell I can watch all this in a day, so I need to get started now. <laughs> But so other, do you other do the that, combination? Do you do the combination of horror movies and Christmas movies together? There's like the um, Krampus. Oh shit! What Krampus? Yes. Yo, yeah. that's that's my Christmas movie. I don't care who's over. My daughter's <laughs> five. She gonna watch it again. I, I'm sorry. I yeah. Some people just, that's forcing <laughs> But yo, we watch Krampus every year. That's that's my, I love horror movies any time of the year. So yeah, I'll probably watch a horror movie for Thanksgiving. I'll probably watch Final Destination for like the 800th time. <laughs> 
<laughs> Amazing. I love that. Well, Andreas, thanks so much for jumping on the show with us. Really great to see you. Congratulations with everything that you're able to pull off this weekend. Again, just uh, making that, making these products all look like a million bucks. You're absolutely knocking it out of the park. So congrats, dude. Jeez, Renee, thank you so much. I really appreciate it coming for you. I'm thankful to be on here. It's, it was going to be my rest day, but as soon as I got the call, I was like, oh, hell yeah, Renee and Misha, I got to do this. <laughs> yes. We appreciate no, we really it. We appreciate you taking the time. Throwing Down with Renee and Misha is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The show is produced by Michael Russo and Kelly Murphy. Sound designed by Nari Balin. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.